Welcome to the My Rules Are Better podcast, I'm Tom Barbelay. Today I'm going to take a break from the regular format of this recording, and I wanted to take a look at something that was important to me. Part of the attic, I don't know what one would call it, getting the attic down, going through the attic articles and stuff, and then giving away a good portion of it, part of that process was to go back and find, not really find, make up for something that occurred when I first arrived in the US in 2005. Now, I don't talk about it too much, but my perspective through my late teens and early 20s was incredibly negative with regards to miniature wargaming. I really wouldn't have classified myself as having any interest in miniature wargaming if you had approached me from age about 17 through to age about 24, 25. And although I did buy a couple of blister packs through this period of time, in large part it was because my former friend worked for Games Workshop. But the whole period of time from when I stopped playing organised games and when I started again is a curious period. Now, my aversion to Games Workshop-related stuff happened earlier than my aversion to Dungeons & Dragons. What happened through the Games Workshop experience was I didn't really join. I would attend periodically what was called the Canberra Game Society. I was raised in Canberra in Australia, which is the capital. That's a uh, $64,000 who wants to be a question. Anyway, so I was raised in the capital of Australia, Canberra, and didn't join formally, but would attend. And here I must have attended maybe five or six Canberra Game Society, maybe even more, maybe closer to 10 or 12. But for me, it was completely mystical. You would see these people with their armies come together, fantasy and 40k come together. I think there were probably maybe fringe role players that were part of it, but mainly it was about mass battles with miniatures. So I attended these things without having any real money, without having any real means of playing. I did buy a squat. It wasn't really even an army. It probably was in total maybe 30 squat figures and half a dozen bikes. So maybe a squat detachment. I don't even know what one would call it. Anyway, I did buy that through this period of time and then squirreled it away until I gave it to my, well, then girlfriend's brother, aged 17, when I left home. But I really didn't have any means of playing these games until I bought the squats. So I would go and watch for hours on end, read through the rule books, get a sense of the games. But my experience through going there was that there were a group of us that were in our mid-teens, and then a majority of the players were in their mid to late 30s, early 40s. And those players typically, well, unfortunately it was based on the fact that there were some players that were just really horrible. And ironically, these people kind of continued to permeate Canberra nerd culture for many years. I have a friend, or I went to school with the person anyway, whose stepfather is one of these crazy nerd guys. Anyway, so they basically ruined the entire experience. They're like, you know, you, some guy borrowed a Land Raider and the fellow said, well, if the aerials are broken on this Land Raider, I'll break every aerial on the board, you know, just all this kind of like really like the worst possible people to represent any kind of hobby, actively representing the hobby with kind of aggressive nerd culture. The smell was there. One of my fondest memories about going there was breaking away and going to a local Kentucky Fried Chicken for a Kentucky Fried Chicken sandwich, which might have had pineapple on it, if I remember correctly. Perhaps not. 
But, you know, going out, eating fast food, and being around my peers were things that didn't really normally go on in my day-to-day life. I had made money through mowing lawns, which was my primary source of income through this period of time. But the whole experience, and this must have happened when I was about 13 or 14, I know because I still have a friend in Canberra, Australia, who continued on with the Canberra Game Society and has a number of traumatic experiences from participating in these games. Also, his parents were getting divorced at the time. But, you know, come, a little from column A, a little from column B. So these people basically didn't represent wargaming in a fashion that left me in any way like I wanted to be affiliated with them. In fact, the whole thing seemed really kind of dangerous and just destructive. Now, I still have very intimate memories of reading through the you know, magazines and manuals, and this was, you know, kind of golden age of Games Workshop. But the actual experience of the people made me not want to have anything to do with this. And when my friend started working for Games Workshop, my friend was originally the publicist on the film Shine. So having done that, he was a junior publicist, but still he, you know, flew around within Australia and worked on that film. Anyway, my friend came back from the Shine experience and then decided what he wanted to do, probably age 18, 19, we were comparable ages, was work for Games Workshop. So most of that was actually going and trying to meet him at the various stores that he was a part of, both within Canberra and then when he moved up to Sydney. And a lot of that was also, like, you know, giving him money and things like that for allegedly buying old miniatures which never actually turned up there was a lot of really strange kind of karma through that experience so anyway i continued on with very limited to no interest in this games workshop thing until i found myself in the uk now the issue i hold in my hands is october 2002 it's white dwarf 274 october 2002 the uk version of white dwarf and this was the magazine that got me back interested in miniatures, probably cost me a small fortune in practical terms. I think probably I'd be interested in radio-controlled planes or something like that if this hadn't come back in my life. But this was a seminal issue for a variety of reasons for me. Well, it was the first one that I purchased and actively thumbed through, and it certainly was not the last. October 2002. I had been married for about six months by this time. October is also my birthday month. So I suspect that I went into the local WH Smith in Wilmslow in Cheshire with a sense of, mm, maybe let's find something slightly more familiar, but an interesting possible direction. The WH Smith in Wilmslow was pretty good. It had like Wargames Illustrated and basically a good selection of Wargaming magazines still to this day. I mean, I was there uh, a year or so ago, mm, a little bit more than a year ago. They still had a really good selection at the WH Smith. So yeah, this was something that I obviously picked out thinking perhaps in a pile of other magazines this was something that I was going to have a look at, you know, might remind me of childhood things. But the cover itself is so striking that I think probably the cover actually drew me to the issue more than anything. And there's a new issue. It starts, you know, Weimar 40,000 Codex Space Marines. So there's a new Codex Space Marines and the stuff associated with, you know, Lord of the Rings. But it doesn't really say a lot on the cover as to what might, aside from this image of a chaos demon with you know human impaled on the shoulder which the impaled human on the shoulder is what you're drawn to in the image to start off with so yeah that that thing walking into wh smith and buying this issue of white dwarf basically changed my life in a very curious way but it comes in an interesting time in kind of games workshop white dwarf history where they're still using 25 millimeter round slaughter bases a majority of the miniatures, or at least a majority of the interesting miniatures, are still metal. The chaos, I don't know, the movement away from the 
realms of chaos narrative uh, is certainly not there. I mean, it really is a very interesting time to get back into this thing. And this issue for me was incredibly important because it kind of, well, it, it made me realize that this was actually something that I still could get involved with. There was a play going on at the time associated with Lord of the Rings. And while I wasn't particularly interested in the Lord of the Rings stuff, which occupied about a third of the magazine, the remaining two thirds were sufficiently interesting to me to, you know, continue my, you know, development of the hobby. Now, what was interesting after this, which is why the attic thing was so important, was that when I came back to this country, 2005 specifically, we didn't have a lot of money. The tech industry was in downturn. I sold an army which I had bought from a guy from Warhammer World who'd actually built the army and played it at Warhammer World, which was called Black Hawk Down, I think. It was an Imperial Guard army. So I sold that army, and I sold half a dozen white dwarfs from the early period. So thankfully I still had my first white dwarf when I restarted. But a few issues later, I sold a bunch of them. So one of the things that I wanted to do in bringing the attic down was actually fill in the ranks of early white dwarfs when I restarted, you know, reading them and having some interest in them. Because there were certainly articles and things which I miss. I remember reading, but I no longer have physically. So that is one of the curious aspects. But this notion of returning to a hobby, returning to an interest, particularly when there was so much kind of negative aspects around it, is really very interesting. And since that time, I mean, the, the friend that I had uh, came and stayed with me twice in what, here where we live currently. And the second time was just so disturbing that he and I are no longer friends. But I've very well compartmentalized the fact that my relationship with this intellectual property, or at least a specific time of this intellectual property, can't really be tarnished at this stage by, you know, the bizarre actions of others. So a little recording here to talk a little bit about this particular issue of White Dwarf, which I haven't really done in any specific means. The cover is very curious. You're drawn to an impaled human figure, but actually it's the, the Chaos Demon with Balter uh, that is there. It's a very striking image initially. There are lots of bits and pieces to this issue. It introduces Paul Sawyer, who I think is pretty fascinating as a character, particularly if you look at uh, you know what happened with Warlord Games and things like that. He really is a very interesting gentleman. But aesthetically, it is a sharper version of the older White Dwarf, which misses the kind of deteriorating years from when I stopped an interest in White Dwarf, which is about 120 um, through to this period. A lot of the stuff that had been in there historically, um, you know, they cleaned up their act, basically. It's a lot crisper, but still dealing with a lot of the older miniatures. I think there's an emphasis on plastics and these kind of things, but really it gave me a lot of uh, reading and a lot of interest to continue on with. And it recaptivated, I guess, my sense of what this thing was about. It talks a lot. There's 40k in 40 minutes in this article, which is about changing the 40k rule system to play in schools for 40-minute breaks. And I think this was another article which just made me kind of reflect upon, I guess, my experience with this thing. So, unfortunately, a short podcast, but a podcast I wanted to put out associated with this very specific issue of White Dwarf. And I guess my background history into, you know, why I didn't have an interest in Games Workshop-related stuff for such a period of time. Tom Barbelay and San Jose, signing out.